This is Patrick Esmond White for Canada Reimagined. When looking at the North, I argued that the main export base of the Canadian economy will be green extraction of natural resources. Industries to exploit the resources will grow and the diverse cultures of the North will be renewed. None of that happens without a vibrant economy in southern Canada, and that means cities. Much has been said about big cities and the transformation many are undergoing. As the pandemic fades, more people work from home, cities are adjusting. I'll get back to this. But first, let me briefly talk about towns, small cities. I spoke about the need for major investments in energy and transportation. That's just the start. We expect Canada's population to grow for the next few decades at least. While big cities are people magnets, small cities offer affordability and new opportunities. Here's why. Industries like smelting, kelp farming, airship construction, SMR manufacturing, graphene production, or energy generation do not belong in a major metropolis. Everything there is too expensive. Mid-sized cities that target these industries will thrive. Yes, there's a risk when you tie the future of a city to one single industry, as history will attest. But that's part of the economic cycle. Cities must build and evolve. Based on the industrial strategies we can foresee, much of Canada's growth will be in mid-sized cities. There, life is affordable and industries can collaborate in planning. Small cities are good at this. Democracy works well at this level. It's a key to the future. What we should anticipate is mid-sized cities competing to host new industries. There will be plenty of opportunities for cities with imagination. Important as the small and mid-sized cities are and will be, however, big cities are the beating hearts of the broader regional economy. They grew big for a reason. They've diversified their economy. They have the critical mass, intellectually and culturally. They can support major universities, hospitals, financial centers, corporate headquarters, and industry clusters. Three Canadian cities, recently ranked as among the best places in the world to live. Overall, our cities are excellent, spring potholes notwithstanding. But no city is ever fully finished. Great cities look centuries ahead, and they evolve. Big cities have an ever more complex challenge as they engage in urban planning in a time of climate adaption and growth. This challenge is made especially difficult because cities are creatures of the province, with limited control over how they can raise money or what planning powers they're allowed. The good news is the growing movement to reinvent urban architecture to create brilliant buildings, and to preserve green public commons. If new ideas are implemented, a big if, the cities of the future will be visually exciting, greener, and more people-centric. For decades, cars ruled the streets. It was never supposed to be that way. The Grand Boulevards of Paris were originally designed for people. Park Avenue in New York City was a linear park before becoming infested by automobiles. Even before the age of automobiles, urban crowding was a problem. London in the 1860s built the underground to solve their problem. Rome, 2,000 years ago, banned wheeled vehicles during the day. It's no surprise that transit and transportation is the most expensive and most controversial part of an urban budget. Sadly, many cities 
have transit systems that were underfunded and pay the price in terms of reliability. Nevertheless, with better transit, greener vehicles, and more people working from home, the 15-minute city is slowly arriving. Planners are grasping that schools, stores, transit, and other services must be located within a walkable distance. Downtown will become less a business district and more a diverse green zone, a neighborhood where residents and businesses coexist in a cultural community. I'm using the term green zone to describe a neighborhood with a dramatic reduction in car traffic, more public space, and a greater sense of community. Green zones in a city's official plan will guide development. Streets will be redesigned for people. Traffic lanes and on-street parking will be converted to parks, playgrounds, and patios. Trees and gardens will be planted to create a green canopy at street level and on rooftops. The city will breathe. Citywide, sidewalks will be expanded, and pathways will be reserved for vehicles like bicycles, e-bikes, e-scooters, and motorized chairs. In Canada, these may need to be elevated and sheltered, weaving through the city to encourage ease of use. These would connect to transit hubs. None of this is new, but it needs occasional repeating. Built into the public infrastructure will be robotic delivery systems. Pilot projects are already letting motorized delivery robots navigate city streets delivering food and other products. All this helps reduce the need for cars. Of course, the pilot programs are in the United States, and those robots have not yet experienced a Canadian winter. But in short, city life will continually undergo dramatic shifts. Even as I speak, employers are figuring out how to be productive as some employees work from home. Home and work are being redesigned. Everyone is trying to figure out the rules of the new game. The internet is under pressure to deliver more. But commuter traffic will be less hectic. Public transit will be less crowded. Cars will be electric. The air will be cleaner. The streets will be quieter. It will be different. Of course, all great cities have a vibrant cultural and artistic community. They require museums, galleries, theaters, clubs, festivals, and arenas. Cultural diversity makes the city a place where intellectuals, musicians, writers, artists, and athletes want to work and live. Ah, a place to live. One of the major challenges facing Canadian cities is housing. With rapid population growth and many immigrants wanting to live in cities, we need a massive increase in urban housing. This creates density and efficiency. Fighting this, we often see residents rise up in protest against infill that changes the character of their neighborhoods. It's a delicate balance. In the meantime, some empty office space is being converted to housing. Many office buildings can't easily be adapted. However, over time, downtown districts will slowly be revitalized, potentially in a good way. Cities are increasingly grasping the importance of public space, including the public-facing exterior of buildings. Ugly buildings make ugly cities. City planners struggle to encourage architecturally attractive buildings, and it is not easy. Great cities don't just happen. It takes intent, vision. In our daily lives, this is actually the level of government that impacts us the most. I was a municipal councillor, and believe me, we use roads and schools and water and recreation every day. 
Good mayors are first and foremost good managers. They fix the potholes, they administer social programs, manage water and sewage, maintain parks, recreation, and ensure good police and firefighting and ambulances. They typically promise to limit taxes. They do what they can. Managers manage. Great mayors, by contrast, do much more than just fill potholes. They have a vision for the future, and they sell this to the public. They plan for future generations. Great civic leaders make decisions that echo through the ages. Leaders lead. At turning points in the history of every great city, inspirational civic leadership has laid a foundation for that future. London, Paris, Rome, Washington, all these cities had transformational moments where leadership was key. The greatest obstacle to visionary municipal leaders in Canada is not a lack of imagination or technology. It's a lack of money. Cities are underfunded because they are creatures of the province. With limited tax options, they rely on the province and federal governments. Money is scarce. It trickles down. What cities need is a reliable tax stream. Municipal leaders today are blessed with an ongoing revolution in urban planning and architecture. Experts know exactly how to make a livable city. They know how to build the future. But until they have a stronger tax base and have standing in the Constitution and are no longer subservient, their hands will be tied. Cities, and major cities especially, need constitutional change that empowers them to plan for their future. With more control over their municipal destiny, elected leaders could overcome political inertia. They could move faster towards a cleaner, greener future. They could make the city better for today's residents while building a foundation that will last for centuries. Interestingly, delegation of power to the lowest possible level of government is a cornerstone of conservative political theory. Progressives don't actually disagree with that, except to add a caveat that some issues demand national and even global consensus. As the saying goes, you can't pee only in your own corner of the swimming pool. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Constitutional change to empower cities? Not going to happen, you say. Well, probably not. But if we want to really solve problems, constitutional change may be essential. You've been listening to Canada Reimagined. My thanks to Tom Plant for the theme music, Tom Evans for my artwork, and to Harbinger Media, a collection of Canadian independent podcasters that I'm honoured to join. I'm Patrick Esmond-White. Tune in again and spread the word.